the very first movie I can ever remember loving, the first movie that really entranced me was The Empire Strikes Back, the second Star Wars film. And one of the obvious themes in that movie, like most movies, by the way, it's the battle between good and evil. It's right there, ever-present, all throughout, really all the Star Wars films. But you know, in Star Wars, they don't, they don't really use the word evil. The bad guys don't call themselves bad guys. What do they say about themselves? They are the dark side. And if you've ever really watched any of these Star Wars movies or shows, the appeal of being on the dark side is this terrific sense of power. By their reckoning, there is a greater power to be wielded in the dark side than in the light. And so there's always a temptation that's being set forth. Remember Darth Vader's temptation to Luke Skywalker? Join me on the dark side. It's more, there's more power, there's more potential here. Before that, it was Palpatine tempting Anakin in the very same way. If you want to be truly great, you'll join us. Now, anybody watching at home, however, knows not just that the dark side is bad, but that they're going to lose, right? Apparently, Darth Vader doesn't know it. Palpatine doesn't know it, but we know it. They're going to lose. Any power that they do possess is eventually going to be turned on its head, and the dark side is going to come to ruin. Why? Because in the end, the light is greater than the darkness. The light has more power. Good will prevail over evil. Even if all the odds seem to be stacked against it, good is going to win in the end. And that's the way we like it. Y'all, that's the thread. Notice this. Almost any great story or book or movie, this is the theme. Light overcoming darkness. Why is that? It's because all of that traces back to the one true story, the one great story that finds its origin in God. This is the way it's always been. That God has a commitment to bring His goodness, His light, into a world that's otherwise mired in sin and darkness. That's the one great story of which every other story simply points. And we're going to see that today in 1 John chapter 1, where the Apostle John is going to use this very same language of light and darkness to express to us the central message of the gospel. But not just the gospel at large, kind of beyond us, He's also going to show us how this applies to us in real time. There's a very real battle of light and darkness all around us and within us. And so Christians, we'll see, are people who used to live in a state of darkness, but have now been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's own dear Son. And because of that, we now walk in the light. That's what 1 John 1 is going to show us. And so we're going to take this whole paragraph, the latter half of this chapter, all in one breath here before we zoom in and look at it a little more specifically. So look with me at verses 5 through 10, and let's get the whole full-scale argument here from John as he writes. He says, This is the message we have heard from Jesus and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Now there's a lot going on in that paragraph, but all of it rests on the foundation of that very first verse we read, verse 5. This is the message, John says, that we have heard from Jesus and announced to you. Meaning, this is John's summation of the very central message of the gospel. He says, here it is, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, it's understood that John doesn't mean that right there is the whole message of the gospel, because verse 5 makes no mention of Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, the forgiveness of sins, salvation by grace through faith. None of that is in verse 5. But here's what John is doing. He's getting to the very essence of God in His nature and His character, out of which all the blessings of salvation flow. Why is it that God saves us? And how does He save us? It's because He is light. So if we answer the question, the very first and most essential question in the universe, who is God? John says that he heard it from Jesus. God is light. And then with that, John gives us a very strong double negative. He says, in him there isn't any darkness at all. God is light and light in its fullness, and there is not darkness to be found anywhere in him. Now, John's counting on us knowing the difference between light and darkness here. Not just intuitively, like we do when we watch Star Wars, but also biblically, because this is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. And so let me just give, at the very least, here's what it means that God is light and in Him there's no darkness. By nature, He is light rather than darkness. It means at least this, that God is truth and not falsehood. God is good and in no way evil, no trace of evil to be found in Him. He is pure and holy, not sinful, not fallible like us. God is kind and loving, not cruel or hateful. God is just and never unjust. God is the source of all hope and not despair. God is faithful to the end and never fickle. Now, we could go on, but I just want to stop here and drive this home, that in all of these things, John is telling us about God as light, he's not simply telling us something about God as if God were someone far away that we consider and admire. But what John is telling us is, this is who God is to us in a very personal way. This is the central message of our faith, that God is light. Because God is not light somewhere far off. God is light here and now to us. So what was God doing when He sent His Son? When grace touched nature, when Jesus Christ came to earth, what was the purpose? John tells us it was to bring the divine light of God into the darkness. Y'all might remember this from the book of John, the Gospel of John, where Jesus says this about Himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of of life. So when we say that God is light, we're not talking about a distant star that we see perhaps far away. We're talking about a light that we come to know and feel and experience. The message of the gospel is that God 
has entered into fellowship with us. The light has invaded the darkness. In the person of Jesus Christ, we encounter all of God's goodness, His love, His his righteousness, His mercy, His light. And now because of that light coming into the darkness, we are not the same. When the divine light invades the darkness, when the grace of Jesus comes to sinners and we receive Him by faith, everything changes. We fundamentally change. We no longer walk in the darkness, Jesus says. But we now have the light of life. And so John speaks of God in His fundamental nature. But it's not something that is far off. It's something that we hold near to us because God has come near in the sending of His Son. And that's where the application immediately comes in. Because verse 5 communicates something of God, but then immediately after John says, now here's what it means for us. We don't just admire the light. We walk in the light. And John's going to define that for us. Look back with me. We've already read it, but now look again a little more closely, beginning in verse 6. Because here's the application of verse 5. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, capital L, the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Um, We made mention of this last week in the introduction of this letter that John is writing this letter partly to combat false teaching and false teachers. It's likely that the negative warnings that we just read are in reference to the life and behavior of those who are preaching a false gospel. That John is not just picking examples out of the air here, but he's pointing to actual false behavior that's trying to infiltrate the church. But you notice here that alongside that negative, John's affirming the positive here. He says, if we have fellowship with Jesus, meaning we really do trust Him as Lord and Savior, then we walk in the light as He is in the light. And so let's just let's put boots on here and walk on level ground together. Let's define this term the best we can. What does it mean to walk in the light then? Well, in this case, John describes both darkness and light, and one helps define the other, in my opinion. So let's look first at darkness as a way of helping fill in some of the blanks. Verse 6 says, look at verses 6 and 8 here. The negative side of the contrast. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Then look down at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now in both cases, verse 6 and 8, John says those who walk in darkness are living a lie. They do not practice the truth, verse 6, because the truth is not in them, verse 8. And this is the strange and backward view of John's opponents here, that they are living in sin, 
while at the same time denying that they are sinners. They're living in sin while denying that they have a problem. Now, is that irrational? Yes. But before we rush to judgment here, we need to recognize what the Bible says about us, all of us, every single one of us, we all lived in this same way. We all once walked in darkness. There's many places that speak of this. We once walked according to the pattern of the world. We once walked in the flesh. We walked in darkness, and there, there was a time where all of us, we were defined by our sin, by darkness, and yet we denied that sin and darkness as we were doing it. And you may think, well, no, I've, no, I've never been that irrational. But hold on, okay? Think about, y'all, the subtle ways we can live in sin and deny it at the same time. We can redefine terms, for example. You'll notice, y'all, within our culture, you don't ever hear the word sin anymore, do you? You don't hear that on the news or from people's, you know, you hear about it in church, of course, but not outside. We've replaced the word sin with a different word. You know what it is? Mistake. And everybody makes mistakes. What, is, what are we doing when we say mistake? We're distancing ourselves, and we're diluting the force of the problem. If everybody makes mistakes, a mistake, I mean, I dropped something on my foot. That's a mistake. So how is that any different from this you know, egregious thing I've chosen to do that hurts myself and others? There is no difference. Same word. That's denial. It's denial of sin. Or I might look at my sin and say, well, okay, okay, sure, I do this. But at least I don't do that. And as long as I can find somebody worse than me, well, then I don't really have a problem. I'm not all that bad. That's denial. That's denial of sin. That's saying I have no sin. It's the same thing. Or, how about this one? As long as my behavior doesn't hurt anybody else. As long as I keep it confined and contained in private, then what's the harm? Nobody's getting hurt. That's denial. We humans have an amazing ability to walk in darkness while at the same time denying we even have a problem. And so let's be reminded that all of us were once in this place. We don't rush to judgment. It's not us versus them. It's all of us that at one time were in what, what Paul calls in Colossians the domain of darkness. And I want you all to listen here to what Jesus had to say about this. Very famously, in his conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, Listen to how Jesus sets the contrast up. It's not a matter of outward behavior merely. It comes from the heart. John chapter 3, Jesus says, This is the judgment that the light, same, same capital L light we just read, the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested or shown forth, proved as having been wrought in God. See, the contrast of light and darkness can't be reduced to outward behavior. Darkness and light are defining realities. They're deep down inside and so Jesus says, what John's saying in 1 John is simply what he heard from Jesus. That light and darkness go deep down, they define us, and those who live in darkness don't come into the light because they don't want to be exposed. I want to live in denial. 
and maintain my sense of autonomy. I don't want to be exposed, and so I stay in the dark, right? All right. But there's a positive side to this that John wants to show us, that Jesus shows us. There is a, such a thing as walking in the light. And I want to remind us here, because we're not only talking about outward behavior, that walking in the light can't simply mean that you and I got our act together. We cleaned ourselves up and got our lives right. Now, walking in the light, because that light is a capital L, it means in a sense we come to Jesus and we now belong to Him. We have received Him by faith and with Him we receive a new identity. That's why Jesus says, He who follows me no longer walks in darkness, but has the light of life. It's now something we are, not just something we do. And so come back now with me to 1 John. John, of course, gives us uh, light as a moral category. Darkness does not practice the truth. Light does. There's a doing, uh, an obedience in view here, but it's more than that. So now look at, we just saw verses 6 and 8, the negative contrast. Look now at 7 and 9, the positive. Verse 7, John says, but if we walk in the light, as Jesus himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So notice what, what walking in the light does. John doesn't really give us moral categories so much as fellowship and forgiveness. Fellowship first. We have fellowship with one another. That's what it means to walk in the light. Y'all, if, if you were with us last week, we saw this in verse 3, that our shared faith in Christ gives us fellowship, not only with God, yes, of course, but also with one another, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to see soon enough in 1 John chapter 2, that walking in the light involves loving one another. You can't be in the light and hate your brother, John's going to tell us. And so we could say this, that the light of Jesus is not something that merely shines into us, but now it also shines out of us or through us. Walking in the light means we are radically others-centered. We have fellowship with one another. We live as Jesus lived, always thinking, looking, being outward in our focus. The light is not held in like an incubator. It radiates. But you notice what else happens in the light at the end of verse 7 and then again in verse 9. John says we confess our sins and receive God's cleansing. Now remember what Jesus said about those who love the darkness. John 3, he says they don't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And I remind us again, that's all of our default setting. None of us were one better than the other in this. When we once lived in darkness, we denied it, we excused it, we justified it, we hid it away, we didn't want the light to touch it. Y'all, the truth about my heart is that I don't want anybody, not even God, to see the darkest corners of what's in here. And I trust that you don't either. But in the light of Jesus, John says there is no longer any reason to hide 
or deny or run or excuse or justify. No, we do something new and different. We confess. And the reason now as Christians we freely confess our sins is because we have come to know Jesus for who He really is. Y'all, why is it that Jesus brings our sins into the light? To forgive them. That's what He's come to do. That's why we call it amazing grace. Y'all, when a Christian confesses sin to God, what happens next? It's not punishment, not retribution, not condemnation, not even some kind of spiritual repayment plan that God says, I'm glad you were honest with me. Now let's get you back into good standing. Let's put a plan together for you to show me you're really serious. That's not what happens when we confess our sins. John tells us what happens. Instead, what happens? God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what happens. And right here, John gives us two divine qualities, two things that are true about God that make it so. He says that God is both faithful and righteous or just to forgive us. Let's take those two briefly here in turn. God is faithful to forgive. What that means is, y'all, God is entirely and eternally committed to you to do what He said He would do, to fulfill His promise. It's the promise given in the new covenant. One of the places we see this is Jeremiah 31, where the Lord speaks of His mercy to His people. Listen to what He says. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Your sin God remembers no more. That's the promise. And when He forgives you, He is faithful to keep that promise. He will do it. And so the faithfulness of God here to forgive your sins, y'all, I want you to know where, this, where you stand here practically. There will never, if you trust Christ, there's never going to be a single moment in your life, not now, not ever, where you're going to find God's heart closed against you. That will never happen. There will never be a time when God is going to say to you, His child, okay, I've forgiven you for the last time. It better not happen again or you're on your own. That will never happen. Because He is faithful to forgive. He's also, John tells us, righteous to forgive. Or we could use the word just. God is just to forgive our sins. Now, we, we stop here. If we're, if we're clever, we're going to stop and say, now, wait a minute. I think we're using the word just a little loosely here because justice doesn't forgive sin. Justice punishes sin. Otherwise, what's it for? What does it even mean? Y'all, we, you've seen, I'm sure, at times, it's, it's rare, but it does happen, these stories in the news where a criminal has committed some heinous crime and he's on trial. But in the course of the trial, there's a family member that this criminal has destroyed their life. This family member stands up and publicly forgives this man who's done such harm to their mom or dad or son or daughter. And we've even seen at times in the courtroom, this person comes to the criminal and embraces him, hugs him, weeps, forgives. 
and we're just astonished when things like that happen. That's, that is grace in real time. It's amazing. And yet something we've never seen in those cases is the judge stand up and say, well, if the family forgives you, then you're free to go. Not guilty. That never happens, nor should it. Because justice demands punishment. The prisoner goes to jail and stays there because that's how things work in the real world. Righteousness requires it. And so let's think in those terms now for a moment. God is just to forgive sins. How could we ever say that? How can justice lead to forgiveness? Well, the full answer is in chapter 2. Come back next week, okay? Well, teaser. But the short answer is right here in what we've already read. It's at the end of verse 7. Y'all look at the end of verse 7 once more. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. God doesn't have to choose between justice and mercy. He doesn't have to forgo one in favor of the other. Because both justice and mercy are satisfied, fulfilled, and accomplished in the shedding of Jesus' blood. Both at once. Y'all, when Jesus died on the cross, He suffered the full judgment for our sin. All the justice that our sins deserve was given to Him, imputed to Him. Jesus was treated on the cross as we deserve to be treated in our sin. He took on our condemnation. So the Scripture now says that in the death of Christ, in the shedding of His blood, our sin debt has been nailed to the cross and done away with. Paid in full. Jesus Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, Peter says. And so God's justice for sin has been satisfied, but not in condemning us. Instead, it's been done vicariously. Someone else stood in our place, Jesus Christ. And so this is what's meant now by the blood of His Son cleansing us from all sin. It's His death that now grants us life. It's Him entering into the darkness of sin and condemnation and judgment so that He might now give us the light of life. And y'all, that's why, listen, when we come to Jesus, trusting Him for this grace, we no longer walk in the darkness. But we now have the light of life. Because we have received Christ. Not because we got our life together and did better. But because the very light of the world has come for us and we've received Him and now we are full of light. We walk according to who we now are. We are new creations in Christ. No longer under the condemnation of sin, but now receiving the righteousness of His life given for us. And y'all, this is what I want to call us to today as we consider this wonderful gospel truth. If we confess our sins, what happens? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is that verse for? That verse, verse 9, is for everybody here this morning. If you are a Christian, you may have been a Christian a long time, praise God, 
that verse is written to you and to me. It's written in the present and ongoing tense. It's something that we experience now. We're not just forgiven once in the past, but we're constantly now cleansed and forgiven. It's the application of what Jesus has done for us. It's always ongoing. And so when we come to confess our sins, what are we doing? Day by day, we are affirming our trust in Jesus, our dependence on Jesus, our need for Him And His grace is coming to us afresh. His cleansing mercy is new every morning. When we confess our sins, we're coming into the light to receive His grace anew. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Every moment is opportune for the fulfillment of this wonderful verse 9. And perhaps there are some of us here watching or or in this room that that maybe you have never trusted in Jesus. And in that case, I want to appeal to you from verse 9. Y'all, something that John said of Jesus back in the Gospel of John, he said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. There is more power in the light than there ever could be in the dark. Y'all, Jesus truly has all power to forgive all sin. Jesus has the power. Him alone. He's got the power to save us and now to reconcile us to God. Jesus has the power to make you new. To bring you out of all darkness, any darkness, and transfer you now into the kingdom of His marvelous light. And all of this is for us a free gift for those who receive Him by faith. Because He has first loved us and has given Himself for us. He has shed His blood for the forgiveness of all who turn to Him in trust. Anyone who calls upon His name, the Scripture says, will be saved. Will have the light of life both now and forever. And so you can, wherever you are, you can right now, right now, Confess your sin. Come into the light. Not for fear that you might be exposed and condemned, but in trust that you will be forgiven, redeemed, recreated in righteousness and truth. Because His grace has the power to cleanse and to forgive. Now I want to invite us to respond to that. As we're going to stand here in a moment and sing, During my prayer, during the next song, uh, Evan and Aaron, our pastors, are going to be here. They're going to be standing at the back of the room near the doors. If if God is in any way stirring in your heart to do what the Scripture calls us this morning, to confess your sins and receive His cleansing grace, if you'd like us to pray with you, to talk with you about what it is to respond to the Lord this morning, that's why we're here. If you want to wait to the end of the service after the baptism, that's fine too. But if the Lord is working in your heart in this way, I want to call you, appeal to you that you might respond to receive Him, to let us walk with you into whatever your next step might be. But for all of us, we respond in this very moment. We can stand and sing, and in our heart of hearts, we can confess our sins and receive His cleansing right here and now. It is His love that makes it so. When you confess, He draws near. He's not repelled. He comes close because He's faithful and just. And He's proven it on the cross. And so let's thank Him as we...
uh, worship him this morning. Father, would you, uh, Lord, I pray that this would be the, the kind of truth from the Scripture that you would plant very deeply in our hearts. Lord, that we would run no risk this morning of, uh, of hearing um, and simply moving on. But I pray especially this, this wonderful truth of verse 9 would, would take a deep root in our hearts such, Lord, that we would remember, memorize even, these words and live accordingly. If we confess our sins, if we come to You, Lord, acknowledging our need and our trust, Lord, owning up to what we really are and what we've done, Father, we will be received, not rejected. You are faithful, You are righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would hear those words and that our ears would be attuned. There is no better news we'll ever come across than that. And so I pray this morning, Father, that we will be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. That, Father, we would not just walk in the light, but we would run to the light, Father, that we'd be so eager to know this grace, to receive your kindness and mercy, or to bask in your faithfulness and to walk in obedience because we belong to you, Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world and you, Lord, are the light now that comes into the very darkest places of our heart and makes us new. Father, help us this morning not to spiritualize this and, and just to kind of make it a nice churchy slogan. We walk in the light. Isn't that wonderful? I pray, Lord, for application. I pray, Lord, that you um, invade all darkness with the kind of light, Lord, that, that transforms us. It really does affect us all the way down to our feet and our walking, our doing, our living, as it should. Father, thank you so much that when we encounter you, Father, when we are exposed to the light, that, Lord, we are seeing the, the absolute purity of your goodness and grace in your Son, and therefore we have nothing to fear. And so, Lord, let us, um, let us come to the light and let it be shown, Father, that all that we are, any good thing that, that is within us has been wrought in God. Lord, you are the source of it all. Thanks to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in His name we pray and ask these things. Amen.